You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech, where we get just as excited about the sounds that you can make with a cigar box guitar or clay pot drum as you can with the latest finger pad drum machine or a roll-upable keyboard, not to mention a sample library where you can play an entire choir with a keyboard and nobody would ever know the difference. All of that I found one year ago today on the trade floor of NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants annual conference, which kicks off again this week in Anaheim, California. You can also walk into the drum exhibit hall, which you would also think would be exciting, but it's mostly just really, really loud. My name is Dimitri Vitsa. I'm your host. I'm also the CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that focuses on music and technology and music technology. Anyway, I was dreaming about launching Music Tectonics at NAMM that year, and I had my eye out for innovative products, and I have to say, having such a vague mission was a bit tough. At first, I started to think this was still an old-school conference, only for rock bands, band instructors, and the retailers that serve them. But as I made my way through the 28,000-square-foot convention center, I started to find the companies putting out innovative products. One of the companies that was showing off some really fun instruments was Korg. That got me excited because I have a couple of Korg Volca miniature analog synths with sequencers built into them. Being able to see several of those Volcas all hooked, to, uh, hooked up together and watching some of the conference attendees playing with that whole setup was a blast because they had the biggest smiles on their faces. They were having a blast. So this is the first in a mini-series about NAM this year. So I'm excited that I have with me today Nick Quas, a product specialist with Korg USA. Thanks for being here, Nick. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Did I get your last name right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Awesome. Yeah. So thanks for coming in uh, to your studio. And uh, I'm excited to run into you on the floor someday here. But uh, let's just kick it off. Let's find out what, what are you guys, what's Korg launching this year in this kind of innovation category? Yeah. So Korg is having one of our biggest launch years ever. Uh, we have upwards of uh, seven or eight uh, maybe even more. I haven't even counted how many products because there's so many of them, but they're all uh, really, really interesting in their own particular category. So uh, a, a little bit about Korg. Um, you know, Korg has a kind of a rich history of starting our own product categories. For example, back in the day, the first ever workstation synthesizer, you know, a, a synthesizer that does the role of everything in your studio. Uh, we were the first to come out with one of those. Uh, we were the first to put out affordable analog synthesizers and continue to do that. Um, and we were also the first to develop um, a couple different types of synthesis. Uh, for example, wave sequencing, which is a way of creating really lush sounds that build upon each other uh, in kind of a sequence. So maybe you have sounds that change over time to create texture and then a uh, different type of synthesis called vector synthesis, which involves a joystick that can blend in different layers of sounds. And those are coming together on one of our, our releases this year. Um, so there's kind of a little something for everybody. Uh, there's even some pro audio gear uh, that can be used, you know, front of house. We have some, uh, some products for DJs. And then uh, a little bit about kind of Korg's role in the industry. Korg USA is the distributor not only for Korg keyboards, but for uh, for almost a dozen different brands, including guitar brands, uh, key synthesizer brands, drum brands, really a whole gamut, amp brands of different things. Um, and, you know, I'm just the lead specialist for Korg technology, so keyboards, 
and that also includes the distribution in the United States of Waldorf synthesizers, so I can certainly speak to those, but there's a ton of great stuff to check out on the NAMM floor uh, if you're a guitar person as well. Cool. And how about what's coming out, or what's if, if people are regular NAMM attendees, what are they going to see from Korg this time around? Yeah, so some of the, the biggest products coming out this year. Um, first off, there's a digital synthesizer called the Wave State. Now, that name might sound familiar to you if you're familiar with Korg synths from the 1990s, because in the early 90s, there was a synthesizer called the Wave Station. And remember that wave sequencing vector synthesis technology I talked about just a moment ago? That debuted in the 90s, and the wave state kind of brings that into the space age internet era that we're in now, where the 90s, it was all about kind of retro sounds, or I guess they didn't really sound retro back in the 90s, they just sounded modern. But to us, they sound retro now. And, you know, this synthesizer is not just about doing retro things. It's about bringing that technology into the modern era. So what we have is wave sequencing 2.0, which uh, I won't get super technical about it, but allows you to have a sound that changes over time in ways that isn't really, uh, ways that aren't really found on many synthesizers. So it combines real recorded sounds with synthesized sounds. And for you know, the synth synth guys like me, uh, it really is a dream come true because this this synth is kind of ideal for film scoring, um, and it allows you to dial in a sound really quickly, set a mood, and say you're in a scoring studio working on the score for a TV show or movie or even a commercial, you can really get there very quickly uh, with this synth as a tool. Yeah, I, no- I noticed on the website it talks about some like randomizer for those sounds, so you kind of can set that up and then let it run through with, with different uh, percentages of probability of how much it's going to change. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. The, the wave state really is about inspiration. Um, it has some really great built-in voicings, built-in preset sounds that include a whole bunch of different styles and sounds to get you started, like... Um, you know, if you need something dark, atmospheric, or if you need something light and airy, uh, and everything in between. But the randomize button, if you're you're looking for something that maybe you, you don't find in the presets, you're looking for a jumping off point to start designing your own new sound, or you just want to shake things up, you hit the randomize button, you're able to randomize either some or all of the parameters in the wave state, and then you have an all-new sound to start from. And so somebody who's not familiar with this, this particular um, instrument, what are some other features of it that might draw, attract them to it? Well, it's, uh, it, the question is more, what features does it not have? It's, uh, it's a 37 full-size key synth, so it's both portable enough to take on the road, but also uh, big enough to feel really comfortable with, because you know some folks, they prefer full-size keys over mini keys, and it is uh, a, a challenge to strike a balance between portable and fully featured. So I think the wave state really does that really nicely. The the sounds, like I said, uh, preset voicings and presets are, are uh, some of the finest in the world, and really sounds that you'd only find on much more expensive, you know, top of the line workstation synthesizers that'll run in the thousands of dollars. This synth clocks in at less than a thousand dollars, and it's very easy to pick up and learn uh, just right off the bat. So it's it's a super useful synth, like I said, for sound design. 
Um, and it also has, in addition to those recorded sounds and gigabytes upon gigabytes of really high quality samples, it also has a, uh, a couple analog modeled filters like from classic Korg synths like the Poly6 and MS-20, which are really big names that have been used on countless famous records. It has those filters in its programming, so you have the access to uh, really cool old school synth sounds and then you can use those and combine those with modern recorded sounds to create something that really sounds like out of this world. And the and this the the wave state uh, is brand new. Is that is that just coming out? Yes the the wave state is is uh, let's see we're recording this it's what the ninth today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's the ninth of January. Uh, the wave state uh, debuted on the seventh. Oh okay. Um, so that was Tuesday of this week, and uh, it's been getting rave reviews already people are um we're so surprised to see the wave sequencing and vector uh synthesis technology back and everybody's already clamoring uh to get to get their hands on a wave state you know we go live with some youtube partners uh at launch for video content and there are some really really talented demo guys out there both uh with korg with the different distributors of korg all over the world and also just uh, in the community, independent content creators that we reach out to to showcase our synthesizers when they come out. Um, there's just some really great content out there. So I encourage anybody who's listening, if this sounds like a synth that might interest you, if you work in film scoring or sound for film and television, post, uh, commercial sound design, anything like that, uh, or even if you're just, you know, uh, if you are a recording engineer and you're looking for something to spice up, your studio and your collection of synths uh, picking up a wave state. Um, it just sounds like nothing else. And uh, for for musicians that are familiar with the original from the 90s, it really, really uh, does just knocks it out of the park doing the original stuff. But um, it, it carves out a new niche for itself that uh, even the original can't hold a candle to. Cool, and there's a nice video uh, with with some great audio on it on your on your website on the Wave State page. It's it's really very intriguing. Um, what's next? So next, um, I, I, you know, like I said, we have a ton of products. We're coming out with some of our first DJ headphones that are designed to do noise canceling to save your hearing, because a lot of DJs have issues with their hearing after being in loud DJ booths for many years for their career. We're also coming out with new uh, mixers, which have a very unique busing configuration uh, that are very useful for front of house venues, house of worship applications. And then um, something that is uh, sort of new but has been hinted at is an entire new brand called Newtect, which is a DIY-focused brand. It has a bunch of kits that users assemble themselves we first came out with the NewTek NTS-1 uh, digital synth kit, which allows users to build a little pocket-sized synthesizer, no bigger than, you know, about the size of a phone. And it's a digital synth. But the idea with the NewTek brand lineup is that it's open source. It's customizable. So it's designed to encourage users to pursue... Uh, customizing their new tech products in their own ways. So I mentioned the new tech synth, the NTS-1. It's a $99 uh, single voice digital synthesizer that you can load your own oscillators and effects onto. So 
Uh, for those of your listeners who aren't synth people, you can really give this thing a sound of its own, and no two NTS-1s have to sound the same. Uh, in addition to that, there's not only software open sourcing, but uh, hardware open sourcing where there's connectors in here that, uh, you know, you'll be able to, if you're you know, a maker, a builder, you'll be able to design your own maybe front panel with your own knob configuration or something like that. So it, it really is, um, there's no real limit to the creativity that you can bring to this lineup. But the two other products in the line that we're showing, and I highly recommend if you're going to the show, check out the new tech booth at 2448, booth 2448 on the NAM floor in Anaheim at the NAM show. Um, to see these other two products, which are the ODS, uh, which is the new tech overdrive pedal, which features uh, a new tube, that's N-U-T-U-B-E, new tube technology, which uh, Korg developed to allow users to shrink down, uh, or sorry, which allowed Korg to shrink down uh, vacuum tubes for users to have access to a tube sound, but with... Um, reliability that a, a traditional analog vacuum tube really couldn't have. So these are tubes that were used in televisions. You know, you always think about, oh, you know, old uh, old amplifiers for hi-fis, you know, they have tubes in them or tube amplifiers, but these are, the new tubes are the size of your pinky, whereas, you, you know, you think of a 12AX7 or 6L6, you know, you're going to have to have a pretty big piece of technology, which is, you know, a far cry from today's surface mount uh, components where, you know, your iPhone might have a billion components in the palm of your hand. So getting those new tubes in there gives it the sound of a tube overdrive pedal for guitar, uh, but it shrinks it down and it has some customizable uh, options on the circuit board that you can really make it your own. Like there's a bunch of trim pots and the ability to dial in the gain and stuff like that. And then the other product is a headphone amplifier which also features those new tubes, right? That that analog vacuum tube shrunk down to fit on a surface mount um, circuit board, and it allows you to plug your music in. It, it's not necessarily uh, to you know overdrive the sound; it's to warm up the sound. So it's a different use of that vacuum analog tube, the new tube, uh, in the signal path to kind of give it that warmth that you get out of an analog headphone amp. Um, that really only like a much more expensive hi-fi system or hi-fi headphone amp would be able to provide. And like I said earlier, these all three of these products are kits that you assemble yourself. That's fun. Yeah, so you can, I saw, I saw the video, you're literally like breaking apart some of the pieces first and then and then assembling it, screwing it all together and so forth. Have you seen some, on the synth, have you seen some interesting builds on that yet where people are building it into, say, a suitcase or, or, or uh, you know, a beautiful wood, handmade wooden, um, you know, case of some sort? Or is that yet to come? So the technology is still so new, but I definitely expect that we'll see that very soon. Uh, I went to Japan to meet with the development team and the engineers that build and, and design these products and these uh, platforms for people to work on. And I saw some, some things, some ideas that uh, people are going to be able to write their own firmwares for these things. It really is a uh, an open source music uh, equipment designer or sound designer's dream. 
Yeah, it sounds sounds like fun, and it, it's you know something we talk on music tectonics a lot is about seismic shifts, and uh, one of the things we talk about is you know everyone thinks that the the streaming side of the music industry has really been the 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 biggest change of of the industry recently, but I always go back to um, access to creating music is much bigger in my opinion, and and this is the kind of thing where if it's you have a kit that's ninety nine dollars, somebody might not want to to pony up for for a full on synth, and and even though this you know has limited abilities it also has unlimited abilities in one sense once you get deeper and deeper into it and so people can build onto it so much that entire new sounds new genres can can be invented so that that's exciting i'm definitely going to stop by and, and see that what else is coming out maybe on the other side of the range of something that's not so crazy i don't know <laughs> In the main Korg booth, uh, there's a couple other products that are going to be really big hits, especially for learners and in the education market, um, and for you know uh, institutional uh, sales and and like schools and universities, and um, so those are the uh, the EK50L, which is our hit uh, entry level uh, called an entertainer keyboard. Uh, which is really a, a kind of an entry-level um, piano, keyboard, 61 key with speakers and accompaniments. So it's a really great songwriting tool. It's a really great composition teaching tool. It's just an awesome all-around keyboard for uh, computer labs and stuff like that. Uh, but it also has louder speakers. The L, uh, it has uh, about twice the uh, sound power level output of the previous generation. So this is something that could make its way into a keyboard lab in a school, but it could very well also make it into, you know, your very first gig if you're a, a beginning keyboard player. And then uh, the same technology, the same kind of platform is in a uh, a workstation uh, synth called the i3, which is designed to be uh, a songwriting tool for uh, folks that are looking for their first workstation synth, but maybe don't need the uh the super deep technology of you know like a flagship workstation so the i3 is an affordable and portable workstation that allows you to have access to those really high quality sounds and have access to songwriting and and accompaniments at the push of a button uh without really a lot of extra bells and whistles uh and it's super easy and streamlined to use and then third in that kind of family of products is the xe20 which has some of the same interface and the same technology, but it's in you know a full-size 88-key grand piano uh, kind of form factor. So it's kind of in that home piano variety, but it still has those speakers, and it's got recording and accompaniments and the ability to really just press a single button and get immediately into songwriting. So these all together are really great tools for uh, for learners, for education, for songwriting, for anyone who wants to just immediately have kind of a sketch pad to be able to begin putting their ideas down, looping sounds, creating um, songs, and, and just as a great songwriting tool for anybody who uh, doesn't want to get super deep into like workstation programming or anything like that. And I noticed the accompaniment... Um uh, component that goes with it is really updated. Like it, it, it really sounds like something you might hear on the radio rather than <laughs> the old, uh, you know, the old uh, embedded uh, company tracks that you heard on, on early education related uh, products. Oh yeah, absolutely. So the idea with that is 
uh, a lot of the sounds come distilled down from uh, Korg's higher-end workstations, and it's kind of, they're, they're especially chosen uh, to be a really usable set of sounds that you can immediately throw into any production, and uh, all three of those products, the EK50L, i3, and XE20, they're all designed to have that accompaniment in there with a bunch of different genres. So uh, not only can you immediately begin creating uh, songs, you can create like really believable accompaniments to go along with the songs that you write. So you have the ability to uh, have very convincing arrangements right out of the box. Awesome. So tell us about one more... Um one more thing that's coming out, and then let's let's talk about Nam and and some of the bigger contacts as well. Yeah, yeah. So the last product that we have coming out that I wanted to talk about is a product that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's called the ARP Instruments Twenty Six Hundred Synthesizer. Um, so some of your uh, listeners may be familiar with this synth. It's uh, just an absolute legend of a synth, and it's appeared on so many records i can't even begin to list them stevie wonder herbie hancock edgar winter uh the who and peter townsend um the circuits that were in the 2600 originated from the arp 2500 which have you seen that movie uh close encounters of the third kind yes i know about this instrument (laughs) oh yeah yeah so the big control panel when they're communicating with the aliens and they're playing the sound that makes the aliens that's a that's an arp 2500 so the company the 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 arp arp company arp stands for alan r perlman who was a uh an electrician and and an inventor um an engineer in uh the late 60s who uh decided to apply his skills towards making a better synthesizer and one of the things that he stumbled on was this combination of usability and portability and also ease of use and the ability to have a modular synth where you can be plugging in and unplugging and um, changing the structure of the synth and changing the sound, but also have this basis inside that even if you're not well-versed in plugging in stuff and switches and knobs and faders, you have the ability to just kind of dial something in without a bunch of wires and plugs and things uh, coming out in every which way. But the sound of it was just so legendary and so sought after that even though the synthesizer was produced for, for 10 whole years from 1970 to about uh, you know the early 80s, 1981 or 82, I believe, is the last year that these things rolled off the factory floor, only a few thousand of them were ever produced. And so you know, in the uh, in the uh, succeeding years, it's become somewhat of this sought-after monolith of a synthesizer uh, because of how legendary it is. Um, it also is a very unique synthesizer in that it's kind of a stand-up thing. It's it's like a vertical synth uh, with speakers and a spring reverb inside. Um, so it really is its own instrument. It's designed to be standalone, so you don't need to plug this thing into a system to hear it. So it is really an experience. Um, I highly recommend anybody in your audience uh, come down. Remember the the booth number eighty eight oh two is the Korg booth where you can find our reissue of the ARP model twenty six hundred synthesizer. It is. I mean, I sat down to our reissue for the first time, and I've played original uh, ARP twenty six hundreds from the seventies. And they're marvelous instruments. They all have a personality all their own. 
And this thing is accurate down to the rivet. I mean, the design on this thing, the physical design of the case, the feel of the sliders and the jacks, and just everything about this synth is has been lovingly recreated. The sound is phenomenal. I am in love with one. I'm going to be bringing one home as soon as I can get my hands on one for my own personal synth collection. And I think that a lot of our uh, devoted, loyal ARP and Korg synth fans are going to do the same. Yeah, that's that sounds like a lot of fun. Definitely want to check that out and, and see what people are starting to do with it and, and recognize the sound uh, again, you know. And, and it's so interesting to think about you know, um, the, the whole vinyl movement on the listener side and th- this whole interest in, in kind of retro formats, but also on the, on the instrument and creation side too, that people don't want to lose some of those sounds that, that were used in so many iconic recordings and, and, and films, as you mentioned, which, which brings, yeah, that's what we, Oh, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt there. Yeah, that's kind of what we refer to uh, on our side as the analog resurgence. You know, it started uh, kind of all at once with the resurgence of vinyl and cassettes and uh, and now analog synths. I mean, so many more companies than even just 10 years ago are coming out with analog synthesizers as opposed to digital. And I think it's because people are realizing that these sounds are legendary and there's something magical about playing an analog synth as opposed to a synth that just that just generates ones and zeros in a digital realm. And don't get me wrong, I do love digital synthesizers as well, and I think that there's some things that you certainly can't do on analog synths that you absolutely can on digital synths, like, for example, the wave state that I mentioned before. But there is a magic to analog synths, and it is really something that you have to experience. Um, and the 2600... And a lot of the other analog synths that we have in our lineup and other companies have in their lineups, because it is really an industry-wide thing, it is, uh, it's just something that really has to be experienced. And I think it's a trend that I'm happy to see continue. That's a perfect segue to my next question. What are some other emerging trends in music making and instruments that uh, our listeners should keep an eye on in general and specifically if they're showing up at NAMM this year? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I mean, there's, of course, the analog resurgence, the resurgence of both analog synthesizers, but also analog recording formats in certain senses. I don't think really a lot of people are are turning back to recording on maybe two-inch tape as much as they are turning back to, to <laughs> recording with analog synthesizers, although there, I know there certainly are some purists that are recording with those old TX and those old, um, you know, reel or reels in the studio. Uh, personally, I would prefer to have the unlimited, or, you know, I'm doing finger quotes here, unlimited uh, recording time of a Pro Tools session, but uh, I think that definitely the analog resurgence is a huge trend in the industry. There's the modular trend that I think is uh, still going strong after a couple of years. People really like the modular synths, which allow you to have the same customizability that you'd have with a guitar pedal board, but with a synthesizer, which is really cool. And uh, there's also this uh, trend of companies bringing back classic synths. I just talked about the Wave State. I just talked about the 2600. These were synths that were beloved in their time looked back on very fondly by musicians who used them or musicians that maybe didn't get a chance to use them when they were new but rediscovered them much later. Like, for example, 
I am younger than the ARP 2600 synthesizer, but I respect and appreciate uh, the hell out of its legacy. Uh, and I am so, so excited to have a chance to play with these synths fresh off the assembly line new again, because don't get me wrong, I do love my vintage synths in my collection, but there is something really special about playing a synthesizer that disappeared for 30 years and is back and new and you can you can get a new one. Mm. And that's not just for synths with the, the, the retro sounds coming back too, also for, for drum machines and, and different groove box types of things as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in the Korg lineup, our drum machines, for the most part, are mostly newer, so they're not really based on uh, past technology. Uh, Korg did have some pretty cool drum machines back in the 80s when drum machines were first starting to become a thing, and even going back to the founding of the company, uh, one of our first products was an electromechanical drum machine called the Donkomatic, which was just a uh, revolutionary uh, way of, of synthesizing percussion. Um, but yeah, across the industry, people are kind of bringing back that technology that was a hit back in the day. And because music is cyclical and the trends come back and go away and come back and go away, there is certainly a return to some of the roots that inspired today's genres uh, to bring the next thing back to be popular. And everybody's trying to figure out what the next retro trend is going to be. So if you were just walking the floor of NAM, I don't know if you'll have time to do that yourself, but if you were, would there be other things that you'd be looking out for in, related, in re- relation to s- s- some new trends that are maybe showing up on the market? Well, I, I'm the lead specialist at the Korg booth. So if I have time to walk the floor at NAM, um, then something is seriously wrong <laughs> but um, I was I was more like the imaginary you, the one that had yes, time to be there the one, as an the, attendee. <laughs> the, the version of me that isn't, um, you know, uh, spending all of my spare time on the Korg booth just helping people check out these awesome synths is uh, honestly going down to the downstairs to see all the tiny manufacturers in uh, the, I think it's called Hall D or something like that. There's all these small manufacturers, startups, uh, independent pedal manufacturers for guitar, independent module manufacturers for synthesizer, synthesizers. There's even uh, component manufacturers. I really love how every year I seem to go down there and there's a couple booths where you can find these bizarre light up faders and buttons and sliders and switches that have all these cool LEDs built in. And I don't know who's buying those, uh, you know, in bulk to put in their, uh, their new product, but I just love looking at all the components that are available and trying to think, you know, what kind of hardware could I build with this if I had the resources? Yeah. Maybe you can add some of the, some fancy lights to your new tech, uh, since. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> it is open source. So being the hardware in, is open source as well. Yeah. So being in this uh, in this industry and and you know constantly playing with these instruments and telling people about them, showing them off, and so forth. Um, what are some larger patterns that you're seeing in the way that people make music that maybe are affecting our our broader culture or the music industry as a whole? What What do you think people will start to see in 2020 and beyond as a result of what's going on in these innovations? So I would have to say as we progress further and further into the internet age, the speed and lifespan, 
The speed is increasing uh, at which culture advances, and the lifespan of each cultural trend is is shorter. So culture is churning mm. over and over again much more quickly than it was even five, five, ten years ago, if you think the lifespan of a cultural internet trend. And the same is true for music, where something uh, an artist can get famous by just doing a, a, a viral video or on TikTok or something and become this viral sensation and pivot that into a music career or vice versa. Um, I think that it is all about speed and, and being able to identify trends and then figure out whether that trend is adoptable into your style. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily something that I can keep up with. So that's why I prefer to work on these tools that people use uh, to make the music and I'll let the people that follow the trends follow the trends when they because they seem to have the energy and time to do that. What about this um, what about this dynamic between having hardware, analog hardware versus entirely uh, music produced entirely with with a computer, maybe with a, a keyboard attached, maybe not. Um, it seems like it, at one point there was a trajectory towards using more computer-based, solely computer-based systems for making music. And, and now it starts to feel like there's these multiple factors going on at once where you know, maybe it's not a, a one direction trajectory. Although, you know, I think we've, we've seen and even highlighted on the podcast, uh, music making phone apps where people don't even use a computer. They're literally just on their phone making music. And I know, um, I know Korg has some mobile software platforms as well, but, um, do you have any, any thoughts on, on sort of, are we going towards someday there won't be any keyboards or <laughs> what do you think? I don't think so at all. I think that, uh, as long as we, have music and we have you know until the machines figure out how to ma actually make the music for us uh, without our any input from us i don't think that we're going to see the disappearance of keyboards although we'll certainly see the appearance of alternative modes of inputting sound and note and and musical expression data into computers which is what we see with mpe and uh controllers it's um uh polyphonic uh I forget what MPE stands for, but the rolly stuff, the stuff where you can input not just a key press, but a, a you know a three-dimensional directional uh, control, which can control everything from you know the loudness, dynamics, the vibrato of a note to the instrument, and 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 it's you know the evolution beyond the keyboard. I think is really cool. Um, but in addition to that, there's uh, there's all these um, people who for many years were just trying to make music inside the computer and then they realized that that's kind of a bummer so they switched and checked out some hardware and they maybe overcompensated and they completely didn't work in the computer for a couple of years and now I think people are starting to realize that you don't have to be purely one way or the other you don't have to be all software or all hardware you can be halfway software and halfway hardware and and come up with a great blend and I think that there's more and more products coming out that uh, both recognize that, like a lot of Korg synthesizers have integration with MIDI, so you can use our, our analog synths, not just as analog synths, but as fully capable controllers, where every knob on a Korg analog synth also works as a controller for a, 
uh, piece of software. Awesome. Nick, thanks so much for, for joining me. I wanted to ask you one last thing. Is there anything else you'd like to plug before we wrap up? Yes. So with this 2600, the ARP model 2600 synthesizer that we're launching, we decided, I had the idea, I thought, this is not the kind of synthesizer that the industry doesn't need another synth commercial or synth ad or synth launch announcement video that's super sleek and just is a, hey, this synth is out now. I wanted to do something really special. So Korg USA uh, partnered up with a company called Reverb.com, which if you're familiar with, is an online marketplace for e-commerce that allows not just brands uh, through their retail partners, but also just regular people like you and me to buy stuff. And Korg was able to work with Reverb to get a bunch of interviews together about the history of the ARP 2600 synth and a 30-minute long documentary on the history of the making and creation of the ARP 2600, as well as some interviews with artists who use it and love it and talk about what makes it super special. Uh, That's coming out, uh, or actually that will be out by the time I think this podcast airs. Uh, It will have come out on January 10th, and it'll be freely available on YouTube through Reverb. So I highly recommend if anybody is excited about the ARP, wants to learn more about the 2600, that documentary is going to be out by the time this podcast airs. And uh, if you can put that in the, the podcast description or links or whatever, I highly recommend. That would be awesome. And I'm really proud of it. I, I, I got a chance to score the documentary as well as produce it. So um, we're, we're real proud of it. We, it tells a story because this synth is, is a legend and it deserves to have its story told. So definitely check that out. Awesome. Great. Thanks again for being with me, Nick, on the show. And I'm uh, looking forward to seeing you here at NAMM. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to the Music Tectonics podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app. And if you're at NAMM, look for the guy in crazy pants. That's always me. Um, Come say hello. And uh, we'll be back with some more episodes from NAMM soon. Listening to music tectonics.